Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. You've probably always wanted to learn an instrument, right? Let Musician be your guide. It is an amazing app that is your personal music tutor. It's the best way to learn, practice, and master an instrument, and it listens to you play and gives you feedback in real time on your accuracy and your timing. Become the musician you've always wanted to be. Visit musician.com slash words to try Musician with a 20% discount using the code WORDS. This thing is amazing. Try it out. You'll love it. Greetings one, greetings all. I am your host, Ray Harkins, for 100 Words or Less, the podcast, a romp around the independent music world, talking about people who have been involved, engaged deeply into this subculture, whether it's punk, hardcore, punk adjacent, hardcore adjacent, as long as it's that DIY stuff that we just adore and love. And I see it permeating so many different places. Like there are just, there, there are worlds that get touched by this, this principle that I, I would never have expected. But uh, anyways, th- I want to talk to you about the guest this week. His name is Jay Pepito. He plays bass in a band called End, and he also previously sang for a band called Rain Supreme, which uh, is a really, really good band. I was obsessed with them for probably a good two years. I just, uh, and their music still stands the test of time. Like just really, really good classic metallic I don't want to say tough guy, but just metallic hardcore, just really, really good stuff. And uh, Jay and I met, we were on tour together with his band End, and uh, I just, I, I really enjoyed hanging out with him. Like, soft-spoken guy, but we uh, we had some good conversations, and I was like, you know what, he would probably be a great guest for the show. And lo and behold, this, uh, this show goes deep, man. We, uh, Jay and I, do uh, some self auditing. You know, we we look at uh, the way that uh, Jay uh, himself describes his behavior from you know when he was younger, and I, I just I don't know. I loved it, and I loved how honest he was in uh, opening up. And it was a um, I don't know. I I just I felt really really special in having this conversation with him. So I, I want you to learn from this. So, but before I'll talk more about some stuff in a moment because I know many of you reach out to me wishing me well on uh, my wife's my wife's condition and testing and all that stuff because i was pretty down last week and i recorded that intro and outro but she is in good condition i'll tell you more in a few moments but i have to tell you about rockabilia.com pc jabberjaw is the code that will get you 10 percent off i love this company they are just incredible partners i like pushing people to them because i believe in what they do they have half a million items they sell so much great stuff all officially licensed, fast shipping, great customer service, all of these things I tell you week over week and you still don't order, what is wrong with you? Please go to Rockabilia and you will be able to get all of the band merch from all of the bands and you will be uh, just just so much happier because of it. 
Trust me, I've bought stuff from them and they're the real deal. And they pay the bands. It's great. It's all above board, high quality stuff. So rockabilia.com. Thank you very much. And on to uh, the question that many of you were asking me and showing me support. And I really, really appreciate it. Whether you're emailing me 100wordspodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to me on social media, I really appreciate that because, uh, yeah, it was it was a tough couple of days. And on Tuesday uh, of last week, I got a call from her doctor saying that uh, the thing that they had found in her lung actually grew smaller, so you don't have anything to worry about. And even as I say it right now, it feels really, really good. Um, there are many other things that you know we're dealing with, and we are you know uh, making sure that she is as healthy as she possibly can be. But uh, that was that was a big one for me, and I know for her. So thank you very much for all of the well wishes and reaching out to me, whether we're friends or whether you're just a listener of the show. And when I say just, it, it, like we're we're friends, you know, it's a one sided relationship. I just don't know you, but uh, I appreciate the thoughts and support and prayers and everything else, nonetheless. So thank you. And I was in Cincinnati, and I hit amazing record stores in Cincinnati last week. I uh, frankly, I kind of always thought like I only played Cincinnati once, so I kind of thought the town was like you know, like there was maybe some bands playing through there occasionally and it's a big enough town to, you know, support two (laughs) sports teams. I figure it's like, yeah, there's a college campus. Like, you know, there's probably some cool stuff there, but, um, I just didn't view it that much beyond Bogarts. Bogarts was the only place I'd ever played in Cincinnati. And, um, yeah, so I was just like, okay, whatever. So a friend of mine, a future guest of the show, I'm not going to bury the lead, but he drove down from uh, Columbus to hang out and he took me to some incredible record stores, took me to shake it and then also took me to uh, torn light records both incredible stores and i was uh, loving both of those stores and uh, the vegan food scene out there i just was uh, i was thoroughly impressed cincinnati so way to go way to be and i had some white castle impossible burgers it was just a great trip and i um you know i was able to like relax for a minute and be able to even though i was doing a ton of work out there and it was really busy um in in those moments of just kind of hanging out where it was like Oh yeah, like just shopping for records and really not thinking about much besides flipping through the bins. It was very, very nice, you know. So I I, I highly suggest you do that. <laughs> Anyways, focusing on Jay. Jay was such a great chat. And like I said, he really got introspective and shared a lot of stuff with me that, um, you know, whether or not he was originally planning on sharing this stuff with me, this is just the way the conversation led. And I really can't thank him enough for walking me through his um I don't know, not only his life, but just kind of his mental state, because I think, you know, many of us get involved in this subculture when we're, you know, really young. And, you know, if we play in bands and get some level of notoriety and, you know, it's hard to kind of battle the identity versus the ego and everything else that kind of comes along with this stuff that most people of that age don't have to reckon with. Um, And when I say that, it's not like, you know, we're, we're talking about such a small microcosm of the the world at large but uh, it's still an important thing that i I think that everybody needs to speak about you know because it's kind of like you know being a child actor it's like there are very few child actors that kind of make it through unscathed and you know don't make mistakes and are living their lives out in public and um yeah anyways it was just a great chat and i love jay and it was so much fun so that's what we're gonna do here's jay and i will talk to you of course after the episode And uh, 
I know that like this has happened many times with you before where it's like, oh, yeah, like I know of the person. I've just never met them. Like we exist in the same circles and mutual friends or whatever. And so when we played those shows together with Taken and End in, uh, you know, Canada, and it, it was funny because I, I, I obviously knew you were in the band and I was like, oh, yeah, like Jay's in the band. I've never met him, but like I feel like I know him. And then <laughs> but it was funny because in my head I was also like, oh, yeah, like, you know, he he's a pretty like tough looking exterior. Uh, I, I don't know. Like maybe he'll be cool. Maybe he'll be a dick. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm sure that most people and I, I'm not. Uh, I don't mean this in a bad way, but just most people probably look at you and are just like, I don't know, man, Jay, he kind of looks tough. Like, I don't know if he'll be a dick. Like, do like do P- I mean, I'm sure people don't actively go, oh, yeah, I thought you were a dick. And then you're actually pretty nice. <laughs> but I don't know. Does that happen to you or have you had that experience before? Honestly, Ray, that's like. Like, it's funny because we're starting it off with something that's like really real about me. But like, sure. yeah, for sure, that's. That's actually like one of the, the things that I sort of hate the most about myself, my life and my experience with others. Like I've gotten, I've gotten to be pretty close friends with like a bunch of people through the years who were in sort of the same situation we were, where it was like, Oh, I've heard that, I've heard that name before. Oh, he works with this band, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then like later I'd make friends with these people and, you know, maybe a drink or two in, or, or maybe after just talking a little bit, they'd be like, yo, I'm going to tell you like me and all my friends back in wherever we all thought you were like scary or tough or like we didn't. And I just look to a certain extent, like, yeah, like obviously dude, I'm involved in hardcore and like punk my whole life. I clearly have like anger and belonging issues, you know, but like, I I do tend to think that I'm like a much more, like I like people like genuinely. And yes, I can probably be a bit of a dick sometimes. And yes, I can probably be a bit harsh, but I do, I do think that I have a reputation for that. That is, ill-deserved and um it's unfortunate but the reality is there's not much i can do about that at this point i think i can just kind of like right. play in band make friends with people and hopefully like i do hope that over time like i i would like it if people were a little more opened up to me because i'm not I'm not really like that but I, I do get that feedback a lot from people and it's something that i want to work on about myself yeah well i mean it, it, to your point like you a lot of that is clearly out of your control and you know it, i mean for me in particular like it did not prevent me from being like oh yeah like you know talking to you for like less than a minute you can realize like oh yes like obviously he's just a dude like me and everybody else in this <laughs> scene or whatever but yeah there there does especially too i think with uh the area in which you have come from as far as the hardcore scene and how, you know, notorious, uh, it, it is as far as, you know, being, being tough or whatever, you know, you're, yeah. co- you're coming in with a lot of baggage preloaded that people, you know, unrightfully put on you. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I, you know, I grew up, um, I grew up at the Jersey shore and like Bricktown and Tom's river. And I mean, those, those in and of themselves, I don't think were particularly tough or scary scenes at all. But when I was, pretty young. I started spending a lot more time in Philadelphia and I started, you know, I moved here probably like 2000, 2001. And that was right around the time that Philly had already established itself as pretty much the most like just chaotic music scene on the East coast. I mean, sometimes Boston, I think would take that cake, but I think generally most people would say around that time, Philly was like the scary place. And, um, I think I was definitely like playing in bands with and like hanging out with a lot of people who, you know, thanks to the advent of the internet around that time, were becoming sort of legendary for just being like scary or tough. Um, I think you can ask those people still. 
about me. And 99% of them would be like, oh yeah, that guy is not, he's he, like, I'm not from the streets, right? I'm not like, yeah, you're not dude that, <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. You're not, you're, you, you may, <laughs> you may look hard, <laughs> but you're not, you're not hard. You're pretty soft. <laughs> Um, yeah, I am not like a quote unquote hard dude. Like my dad was a doctor. I went to Catholic school and like, I like to read books and like take pictures and ride bicycles and I go to yoga class. Like, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I get it, dude. Like I, I have neck tattoos and I ride a Harley and like, I think like people, you know, know that I was like into like MMA and stuff for a while. So like maybe that stuff makes them think like, Oh, he's like fucking Billy badass. But like I dude, you, like I'm, I'm sitting in my bedroom right now and there's all these like fucking like paintings and plants and there's an acoustic guitar and like camera lenses and a big thing of weed. It's like the most like innocuous, not tough bedroom. And it just is like my personality. And it's, it's weird, but like you are touching on a serious cognitive dissonance for me, which I do experience a lot where people are like, Oh yeah. Like growing up, like I thought that you were this and it turns out you're not. And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker. Like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) well, I don't know. Like, yeah, like I might look tough in a rain Supreme promo pick, but like, that's not, I don't know. That's not really me. Yeah. Well, I, I think to your point too, I think the probably what, you know, kind of flipping it on its head and, and like the positive thing that can be gleaned off this is the fact that the people that do, you know, reach out and actually have relationships with you clearly vouch for all of the, you know, whatever negative stereotypes may exist about, you know, uh, you or obviously people that are like you where it's just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, do tattoos like clearly he's going to stab you in the neck or whatever. Um, but like you, but like you said, all of these things that kind of live in, uh, you know, both worlds where it's just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'm a, a sensitive softy while also, you know, I can express myself, you know, physically by playing in a band or like you said, you know, uh, being physically fit and, you know, being an MMA, like both of these things can exist, but you can still at the core be like a decent human. And I think some people substitute that out of the equation, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I totally think so. And it it's like really funny because it kind of just exposes this notion we have about like, I don't know, like I kind of liken it to like masculinity or something like, Oh, I can't like, I don't know. I can't be a few things at once. Like, why is it that someone has to be like, Oh, you like lift weights and have tattoos and play in like a mosh metal band. Therefore you have to be like a scary judgmental asshole. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not pretending like I'm innocent. Like I've definitely had my struggles with like other people. And you know, when I was younger, I was definitely way more of a, I don't know, just kind of a jerk, like not, not a great person, but like, that's sort of not me. Uh, and it's definitely not me anymore. And, um, it's funny now because I look at it, like th- there's, there's this, there's this version of me that's out there in people's heads. That's just not me. And like, I don't understand why I can't be someone who is into uh, listening to like, I don't know, hate breed, but I, but I can also be into reading books. Like why are the, why, why is there a dissonance between them? There doesn't need to be, but I think it just makes it easier for people to digest you and categorize you and say, Oh, I'm not going to talk to that dude. I'm not going to book that dude's band. I don't want to go on tour with them because he is X. And it's like, you know, that's like the easy way of doing it. The much harder thing is to kind of give someone a chance to, to prove that like what you've heard is wrong. And I think that most people who've given me a chance to prove that what they've heard is wrong have become pretty good friends of mine. Um, I, like I've heard, I'm telling you, dude, I've heard that a lot. People are like, you are not what I thought you'd be. Yeah. In some ways that, that bums me out, but in other ways it, it does feel really good to know that I do have some agency over it, you know? No, true. That's a very good point. I, I do think that you, the, the frustrations could arise. I mean, mostly due to, uh, you know, the age in which 
your, you know, quote unquote public persona on such a small level. Cause like, you know, whatever singing for a hardcore band, like no, yeah. no, one, no one cares, but like, no, <laughs> but having your reputation precede you, uh, you know, it, it does feel weird to grapple with at, at that age between, you know, 17 and 25, you'd say. Uh, but then, like you said, once you have the ability to not just compartmentalize, but like you said, have agency over it where it's just like, okay, well, whatever the people that are going to judge me and write me off, like they're probably not going to be meaningful friendships where, like you said, the people that you have relationships with now are, are like actually meaningful as opposed to, you know, like (laughs) just the throwaway relationships that you have for a year or whatever. Yeah. And like, there's, there's something really to that. Like when you've been involved in like, you know, hardcore and like punk, as long as I have, you see that like, people tend to kind of be sort of fleeting in it. So like it, it doesn't really hurt my feelings that some 17 year old, he's wearing a bunch of shit. They bought at urban outfitters cosplaying as a hardcore kid from the nineties thinks that I'm like a washed up loser whose band sucks. Like that doesn't really bother me. Um, because the reality is like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing 40. Like I've been playing hardcore shows for over 20 years and like going to them and touring and, and, and playing on bands records and singing and doing all kinds of stuff. And like, I don't do that for money. I don't do that for credibility. I just do it cause it's mean cause I like it. And so there's this thing where it's like, yo, you're going through this shit when you're young, you're figuring your personality out, you're figuring out who you are. But if I go to a show and I feel like I'm getting a vibe where it's a bunch of people who are like, Oh, like this dude is this. And I don't want to fuck with this dude. I usually just, like, it, it doesn't even bother me anymore. I just kind of ignore them because chances are really strong that one of two things is going to happen. The most likely thing is that I'll never see them again because the next time I end up at a show by them, they're probably off at their normal ass marketing job or whatever the fuck they're doing. Or two, they do eventually get to know me and you know, we, we learn to coexist. And so it's, it's not even an issue for me at this point. Cause I'm just, I'm old. I have a job, I have a life and I just don't give a fuck what a bunch of people think about me anymore. I just, I just do it cause I like it. That's, that's yeah. why I do everything I do, you know? Yeah. Oh, it, it's, it's freeing up to a certain point where, well, not up to a certain point. It is absolutely freeing when you're just like, because most of it is, like you said, it's the, the, the trappings of, you know, age and being involved in the scene and having all these things where, you know, the, the proverbial scene as a whole is still important because, you know, clearly it fosters, you know, community and growth and all these other things that we love. But, you know, when you're an adult, you don't have to exist in it day to day. You don't, you're not, you're not going on message boards constantly and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny too, because like, this weird shift happened with, with me and maybe, I don't know, maybe you experienced this too, um, as another guy who's been going to shows and like participating for a long time, but like from like maybe 1997 or eight until probably 2006 or seven. Uh, and then, you know, the whole time that rain Supreme was touring and playing, I would say that like, generally speaking, my main thing in life was going to hardcore shows, playing in bands, going on tour, um, whatever. Like that was my social life. It was everything. And I would listen to music, you know, like everybody does, but like going to shows was like really my thing. Now it's like sort of flipped where I don't go to shows very often anymore, but I listen to hardcore every day. Like new, like I still listen to new bands constantly. So it's this like really weird thing that's happened where like my life has changed in some way interacting it. But as you said, like I've, I've kind of grown and it's cool that the scene has grown too in like new ways because even though I'm not, I don't have my finger on the pulse and I don't know every face there anymore. Um, I still listen to a lot of like the newer stuff that comes out like on, on a very, very regular basis. And honestly, like 
if I'm being really real, like I started going to shows like when I was like nine, uh, maybe like 17, 16, 17. So it was like 1998 or so. And now the bands that are out, I kind of relate to more than the bands that I grew up on, which is like this crazy mind fuck where like a lot of the bands who are doing stuff now, I wish that I was like, say 17 to 24, 25 right now, because I think it's maybe not the best time ever to be into hardcore, but there's such an insane variety of bands. There are so much like technical excellence with actually playing in these bands. There's so much like just different sort of like genres mixing in a way that like, I feel like I really haven't seen since the late nineties. And on top of that, it's just like a really, maybe I'm looking at it with rose colored glasses, but I remember in the early two thousands and like the late nineties, there was just a lot of everyone hating on each other. And it feels like now, like it's cool that like turnstile and the story so far are going to go on tour together or like, I don't know, turnover will take out a hardcore band, like different things like that happening is really, really sick. And like, I wish that I was a kid growing up right now, because in some ways, even though I'm sort of like grown and a little bit kind of like out of it, like out of the scene or whatever, um, the music as it stands right now, I think is as good or better than it's really ever been before. So it's like a really weird place. I don't know if you have had that experience too, but I know I, I, I don't, um, I don't disagree with you. I, I definitely, there's been times that I have joked around with friends in regards to, um, you know, just, just the act of playing in bands and finding, finding in, not just like-minded bands from a, you know, getting along and touring with, but like, like-minded sonically too. Cause yeah, there's that notion where it's like, yes, like hardcore morphs and evolves and different bands have, you know, different uh, styles and certain styles are clearly more popular than others, but you always kind of feel like, oh man, I wish that there was more like bands that kind of, that, you know, we were sounding like, and yeah, I, I agree where it's just like, you know, looking at other bands, I mean, selfishly speaking from a Taken perspective, I was like, man, I wish Pianos Become the Teeth like was around when Taken was around like more actively. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Like, honestly, I wish Pianos Become the Teeth was around when I was 16. So I could have grown up with that band. Like totally, totally. every, every record they put out, I feel like they get better and better. Like I just didn't think they could get better after the last one. And then they put out um, whatever the newest one is called, I guess it came out last year with charisma, that one, yo, it, just from start to finish, I heard it. And I was just like, I remember I listened to it in the dark with the lights off just to, just to like really experience it. And like I said, man, I'm like 36. Like I'm, I'm kind of old at this and there are still records coming out. That's still like, still, a vis- they, they give me like a visceral physical reaction that records didn't do for me a lot in like the save like the mid 2000s you know what i mean like it's just an amazing time yeah no i agree wholeheartedly it's it's cool because i i think that on top of that too it's the uh to me it's kind of the logical evolution of um you know the the aging process within the context of independent music because clearly like there comes a time and a place where you know you need to move on from being like you know the king of the scene or whatever like you can't <laughs> you know the peter pan syndrome of like always being that that static person you were when you were 18 years old it's like yes you can carry a lot of these ethics and beliefs that you have over to adulthood but like uh, arguably that it, those you know, visceral moments as far as like starting bands and doing all that, like that should be for the youth, you know, it shouldn't be for, um, you know, in in the same way, like you can clearly start a band when you're 45 years old and, you know, play a couple shows and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, it's always for the kids at the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah. I I feel like it is. And it's, I actually, it's like really sick in some ways to watch like 
younger. So like, you know, end is playing out now. We're about to drop a new record and, um, we, we play shows with like younger bands. Right. So like, you know, I'm a little bit older. Um, this is my, like, I guess third go around at like a, a band that's somewhat serious. Like, you know, blacklisted was like early two thousands and then rain Supreme was like in the mid two thousands into the 2010s. And now like I'm doing end and we play with, with kids who, I mean, like knock loose are a great example. Those kids are like fucking early twenties, right? Like, yeah. Com- this band combust from New York, um, all, all these different bands. And like, we play with these bands and it's this insane thing where you're like, yo, I, I, man, this sounds so like corny. I see me and my friends in you. Like I see you coming back to doing this thing that we did years ago. I look forward to watching you Instagram about all the dumb fucking stupid shit you do on tour about the time you didn't follow the GPS and you drove into Michigan instead of Ohio by accident. Like all that kind of stuff that we all did when we were younger. I look forward to seeing you do the same things. And it's been this really like, in some ways, dude, I feel like a proud uncle kind of like, I know, (laughs) dude, I, I have never, I have never met the guys in candy. I could not point them out to you on the street. Um, but I'm really excited to watch them do their thing. And like, I like listening to their records and feeling that. And then by the same token, man, like there are still older guys and I put older in quotation marks, obviously, but there are like older guys in, in hardcore and punk doing really cool stuff too. Like, you know, praise dropped one of my favorite records of the past few years last year. Uh, no tolerance dropped that seven inch a couple years ago. That's one of my favorite records of the two thousands period, just like insane, perfect hardcore uh, fiddlehead is like playing out right now. So like all these bands have like slightly older dudes in them and they're still, they're still fucking awesome hardcore. Yeah. And you know what I mean? So it's this like really, really cool, cool space to be in. And I, I like doing bands. I think I'll probably always play in bands, but I have to say I, I don't necessarily want to be the like 50 year old dude up there, like playing. I feel like at a certain point, <laughs> yeah. like it's like, you know, I want to leave that to the youth, but like, I don't know. Sometimes I still, sometimes I still like, I feel like I have a riff or two I want to throw out, you know? Oh, totally. Well, I, and I mean, and the space exists for you to do that. And like, it just, it's the level of uh, activity that one could have versus the other when you have an abundance of time versus like, I, I don't <laughs> like, I just don't as the, you know, the, yeah. the older you get for, you know, all those different reasons. But um, so you kind of turning the spotlight more, you know, focus directly on you. That, that, that was a great philosophical, uh, old young conversation. I love it, but <laughs> you, you, as a, <laughs> sure. you as a person, like you said, you were raised in the Jersey shore. Um, and it, are you an only child or do you have brothers or sisters? No, I have a couple of half brothers and like a half sister. And then I have a younger sister, um, who's like, I don't know what the term is there. Like my, my real sister, whatever the fuck you want to sure. call her. And she lives blood in LA sister. actually. Oh, okay. blood sister. Yeah. So yeah. she lives in Koreatown. That's why I go out there all the time to hang out with her. But, um, yeah, I got a bunch of like half brothers and sisters all over. It was kind of a big family. Yeah. And were they all kind of like under the same roof as you were growing up together or was it, uh, no, it divided no. homes? Yeah. My, my dad had a couple of different marriages. Um, so like there was some, like I'm the youngest son. So like, I don't really know all like the the stuff that happened before me, but sure. I definitely had like brothers from different mothers or whatever, you know, Freddie would say. Um, and actually my one older brother did get me into hardcore. My, my older brother, Rob, who lives, uh, I think he lives in Sacramento right now. He, um, I was probably like, he started coming around and hanging out with me and my family, like a lot more when I was a teenager, I must've been like, 
damn, I don't know, like 13, 14, something like that. And I was like really into skateboarding at the time. And this was like right after like Nirvana and grunge had kind of hit. So this was maybe like 95, 96. And, um, he started hanging out and like he had a car. So like my parents were like, Oh sick. You, you can take Jay around and do like dumb kid stuff together. So we'd like drive around and listen to music. And he was, he had been going to shows in like the early nineties uh, and like seeing like gorilla biscuits and super touch, uh, burn, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, he like sort of introed me to some of that stuff. And then the first, I started collecting vinyl. I go up with him to him and his buddies to like New York to skateboard and just hang out. And we'd go to Kim's, uh, in the village and like buy records. And the first record he ever gifted to me was turning point. It's always darkest before the dawn. And then, um, yeah, he would like, I would listen to that record, like just nonstop constantly. Cause I was like, what is this sound? It's so different from the other stuff that I was into. Like I'd, I'd listen to like minor threat and black flag because like the guys in Nirvana said they liked it. So I would like, check it out, but I sort of didn't get it yet. And turning point was like still contemporary enough at that point that I was like, Oh, I kind of get it. And then I heard gorilla biscuits and I was like, Oh my God, I really, I really like this. So yeah, my like weird sort of non-nuclear family is somewhat responsible for me even getting into punk in the first place. No, that's, that's cool. I love that. I, I do love Ooh. the, um, the exposure and just like what you kind of glom onto, you know, cause like you, you're yeah. at that point, you're just kind of grasping at straws. Like you've got no context. I mean, you have some context for where bands, you know, the, a band is around or they're not around or they're played on the radio or not played on the radio. But what you get drawn to is really kind of the core building blocks of, you know, what you will always be um, sort of drawn to and like, you know, turning point and melody and all that stuff. Like I can see you saying that. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's not like, that's not surprising. Like that's very much, that's very much you in a nutshell where it's just like, Oh yeah, it's, it's kind of core, but like, you know, it's it's also, there's a sense of melody. They're they're soft. Yeah. There's a little bit of that, I think. And it's like funny because I feel like some people would hear that in like the music that I write, but some people really wouldn't, you know, they'd just be like, Oh, like, blacklisted was just like a sloppy 19 year old version of like mad ball meets american nightmare and then someone would be like rain supreme was like a a weird uh version of mad ball hate breed with a guy who doesn't know how to sing screaming like so it's hard to see all that but i think like that's like bringing it back to what we said before that's one thing i love about music right now where you know there there are bands like citizen and turnover playing hardcore shows and that's really cool because like i vibe all that stuff like heavily and being able to play my own music. Um, it's really fun to be able to incorporate those influences, which I feel like sometimes people don't really like necessarily like it when you do that, but that's okay. Like people don't have to like everything you do, you know, that's, no. that's just sort of it. But. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's just what you want to do. I understand. <laughs> Support for today's show comes from Sonos, which is one of my favorite sentences I've ever said. Sonos is a speaker system that is meticulously designed where every speaker is built from the inside out. They're experts in acoustics and engineering, even work with Oscar and Grammy winning producers, mixers, and artists to ensure an immersive listening experience. Getting started is so easy. You just pop open the app, connect all your favorite streaming services, and boom, you are ready to roll. And if you want to add more speakers to your system, they are available to connect over Wi-Fi whenever you're ready. And plus, you can connect your TV or turntable to listen to everything that you absolutely love. I can't tell you how much I back Sonos. Besides that, I've used this product for many, many years. They sent me an awesome Play 5 unit. I hooked it up with my other like 
old, like play three or play two. I'm not exactly sure, but all this stuff works in less than five minutes. I was able to hook up a speaker in my son's room. I hooked up one in the family room. I basically got all my Sono systems working seamlessly with one another to where I could be listening to music in one room and then different music in another room. It is absolutely the best. And they use this really, really cool feature called true play, which basically I walked around this room with my cell phone kind of, you know, as the Sonos speaker was shooting some sounds out to make sure that the experience that you have in listening to music in that particular room with all the furniture and walls and everything else is just top, top shelf. So please go to Sonos.com, check out all of their line of products. It's I can't tell you anything more than you need to have Sonos in your life. It is the best. I love this speaker system and you need to go there. Okay. Sonos.com. Thank you for the support Sonos. I will love you until the day I die. Now on with the show. The, I'm kind of playing armchair psychologist here, but the, uh, you, you know, you, you as a person, like you, you kind of strike me as far as like, once you started to, you know, grow up and develop an identity and kind of go through school and stuff like that, uh, you strike me as the sort of person where, you know, you, you were kind of, you know, friends with sort of, you know, a, a bunch of different people from kind of all walks, whether it was like, oh yeah, like I'm friends with the art kids and I'm friends with the sports kids or whatever. Um, or did you kind of just stick tightly to, you know, a, a, a specific, uh, <laughs> I guess, category of friends? Um, that's really funny. You kind of nailed it. Like I started off high school. Like I, I changed. So when I was younger, um, I went to this really like elite prep school in New Jersey called the Ranny school. Um, it's where like the Springsteen's and the Bon Jovi's went to school. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, by the time I was in like seventh or eighth grade, it became really clear to my parents that they were wasting their money because I just did not give a fuck about school. (laughs) So we had a hard conversation one day about it. And my parents were like, we're not going to keep paying this like insane tuition for you to go to school, for you to be getting like, you know, like mediocre to below average grades. You clearly don't care about college. And I was like, yeah, all I really care about is like playing guitar, skateboarding and like trying to record bad songs I wrote on this boom box, you know, like, so, um, I switched over and I went to this like Catholic school, um, for like nine, like freshman year through senior year of high school. And, you know, when I first went there, I was super intimidated because I was going from like a small prep school where there must have been like 25 to 30 people in each grade. So it was like really small and I knew everybody and I'm still really close friends with a lot of those people into a school where there was maybe more like two to 300. So it was like a lot bigger and a lot of them knew each other already. So right away I found myself just being like, all right, where are the long haired weirdos that I can talk to grunge and skateboarding and punk about? And I found them right away and hung out with them. But then by the end of senior year, I was kind of friends with everybody. Like my best friend was on the lacrosse. She was like a girl on the lacrosse team that was like as normal as normal gets. I think she's like a speech therapist who lives in New Jersey and has three kids now. And then like my other really close friends, this guy, Doug, who I'm still really good. I'm still friends with both of them, but Doug owns uh, cafe Volan in Asbury park and made in coffee roasters. And like his, like his coffee company supplies my barbershop with coffee. And like, um, you know, we still hang out and we catch up and stuff. And like, I don't know. It was just like, like we didn't necessarily have to have the same interests and everything to get along. And I, I kind of think like that is sort of the person I am. I don't, I don't really only hang out with people who listen to punk or people who are into uh, like lifting weights or people who are into traveling or like the stuff that I'm into is what I'm into. But I, I do kind of run with a lot of different people. And in some ways that's actually kind of weird because it is definitely odd. Like when I have a bunch of different people together for a get together and it's like, you look around the room and it's just like a sort of like weird, uh, 
collection of, of strange people who've made their way into my life that don't actually have all that much in common on the surface. But I feel like once they kind of get to know each other, they see that there is some commonality there. So yeah, I guess, I guess that's probably a pretty good astute armor, armchair uh, that's, psychoanalyzing. You know, that's why I get paid the big bucks, man. That's why I get paid the big bucks. <laughs> 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 um, the uh, and I also, from what I understand, that you uh, your dad was an Olympic boxer, so that's kind of where you you know, or, or is that where you got the love for the sort of physical exertion and you know the MMA and like because you know you basically have dabbled into you know everything in regards to <laughs> physicality and uh, and weightlifting and and fighting and all that sort of stuff. Did did it kind of come from him, or is that something that you just basically uh, randomly got into later because you know that was just what you were interested in? Let me correct you on that. I don't think my dad was an athlete of any sort, but my grandfather from the Philippines oh, was. Oh, your grandfather? Yeah. Okay, no, so I, I don't know. Bad internet research. I, no, no, that's okay. Um, you know, it's it's like one of those things where like you do an interview one time and you mention something and it kind of like, you know, a few different people, you know, so. But um, I don't remember the exact extent to which he was um, like active, but I remember that he, he was competitive, I think pro, I think he either did Olympics or was in the trials. I've never even done the research. I'm sure you could find online whether or not my, my parents were full of shit, but, um, yeah, he used, so my grandfather had two PhDs and was the president of a university and was also like a pretty accomplished boxer. He was an athlete. And my dad discouraged me from playing sports. Um, because my grandfather always talked about how savage it was to have to play sports to try to go to school. You know what I mean? he just like, I think he really like resented that he needed that physicality to, to get him where he wanted to be in life. Um, so we were, I think it was just sort of like seeing, you know, you don't need to play baseball to get a scholarship to go to school. And realistically, you're probably not going to be that great at it either. So like, why bother? So I never really did. I played baseball and soccer a little bit growing up, but I was more into like, I don't know, climbing trees, getting in fist fights with the kids around the corner, uh, riding BMX bikes, you know, that kind of stuff. And then when I was probably like 18 or so, maybe 19, I just... I was living with a bunch of people in Philadelphia at this place called fun Rama. And it was like, um, it was, I guess it, it was technically a music venue in the, the early two thousands. We had like Converge and hope conspiracy and stuff like that playing in our basement. And actually terrors first show in Philadelphia was in our basement, which was really cool. Um, so like we always had these bands playing like no warning, all, all kinds of stuff. And, um, at the time I had just dropped out of college. I had like literally no money, dude, like less than no money. My rent was something like less than $300 a month. It might've been like $200 a month or something. And I was just kind of like working at a record store and doing whatever I could to try to make money. And I guess one day I was kind of bored. So I just put on my shoes and I was like, I'm going to go for a run. And I just, I ended up running something like it was a lot. I want to say it might've been like seven miles. And I was like really, really, really unprepared for this. And, um, I was like very, very sore from it a few days later, but I, I just kind of like, there was something about it. Like, I think it was raining that day. I don't know. It painted this really romantic image in my face where I was like struggling and I really liked it. I think because I was bored, it like gave me something to like fight against. You know what I mean? It gave me something to overcome. And honestly, dude, that day kind of changed everything. Like I, I started running a lot more. Um, I figured out a way to get a gym membership. Um, I like, Tim from Blacklist that he played bass in Blacklist at the time, or maybe it was no rights. I can't remember whatever band we were at the time. He like was able to get me a deal on a gym membership at this place where he worked. So like I started like lifting weights and not knowing what I was doing and running and doing pull-ups. I was probably doing CrossFit before people knew what that was. I was just like 
really into whatever I could. And then from there, I, I started training in a boxing gym because I did a little boxing when I was younger and I liked it. And then um, I saw people doing Muay Thai. So I started training Muay Thai and I was doing that for years. And eventually they let me teach the like beginner classes and stuff. And since then, I've taught a few people who've gone on to like, you know, win belts and do all kinds of cool stuff, which is like super sick. And uh, now I run marathons um, and I, I like lift weights and just kind of, I don't know, I'm really into like hiking. I rock climb sometimes. I ride my bike around Philadelphia with my camera and take pictures. It's just this thing where it's like, I don't know, man. In some ways, I feel like if I didn't have exercise, I'd have really, 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 really bad mental illness. Like, I think it's, I think it's this thing that I need to do or else I will cause trouble. And I feel like as long as I have access to like running shoes and like, like pavement, I can like control myself and control my, like my problems. So yeah, I just, it's, it's just a really big part of my life. I'd say like on a given day, like 30, 40% of my energy for the day goes towards training. And, um, you know, right now that's pretty much just, you know, lifting weights. I'll take yoga classes sometimes, rock climb occasionally, but I like to go on bike rides. I run, um, you know, yeah. whatever I can do just so. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I appreciate you walking me through that because I think it is, um, uh, you know, it is interesting because it, the your attraction to just like the 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 physical exertion aspect of it, it you know, because I mean, there's you know clearly a trope that exists where it's just like, oh yeah, aging hardcore kid does MMA, like wow, like <laughs> that, that that happens all the time. Like that's you either get into that or you get into motorcycles. Which no shots at you, Jay. It's I'm just but, I'm into both, right? So. Exactly. But but the the idea of of your the the discipline in which you have across all of those different things, where it's just like, oh yes, like you know, I, I, you, you attaching it to your mental well being um, that like, and it's just kind of a part of you, you always need to be, you know, physically exerting yourself from that perspective. I think that, um, you know, that, that, that's a clear uh, difference and compulsion than just kind of, you know, being a stereo, a stereotype of, you know, aging hardcore kid or whatever. So yeah, I appreciate you walking me through that. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, I think like, it, I, I would probably be remiss in saying like, definitely when I was younger, I probably like did care about like, like I think when I started doing Muay Thai, MMA, Jiu Jitsu, that kind of stuff, um, some part of me wanted to be like, like a badass, you know, some part of me wanted to feel like I could physically dominate someone else if it came down to it. And now as I get older, I, I just really don't care about that. Like, yes, I do feel like chances are strong that if I needed to have a physical confrontation with someone, it would go okay for me, but it's not so much of that as it is. I just, I like the exploration of physical space. So whatever it looks like, I like sweating and being active and moving. And it's not, it's not much more than that to me. And in a certain sense, a lot of that has also been the privilege of having a, a pretty good job or like a decent income and being able to like explore these different spaces, because I know that these things cost money and they're, they're not necessarily super cheap. So it's not like I, have gotten to do all these things by virtue of just being good at them. It's like, well, you know, I've, I've been doing a little bit at a time for many years and I've been chipping away at it and paying for it the whole time and like doing whatever. So it's, it's definitely like a mental thing for me and that's why I do it. But a lot of it is just this, like, it's just like a really strong interest for me. It's this like thing where it balances out who I am, but I also am aware that like with it comes certain, um, assumptions and certain like, 
certain baggage that I don't necessarily like, but I'm aware that that's part of it. So it's this thing where it's like a hobby, but I know that it says stuff about me, but it's good for me. It's complicated. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, totally. I get it. Um, and so the, uh, you know, kind of looking at your, your, your band experience and everything like that. I mean, most people attach you to, you know, the, the formation of blacklisted, like, did you play in anything prior to that or was blacklisted for all intent and purposes, like your first band? No, I've been in a bunch of hardcore bands before that, actually. Um, when I was like 17, I played in this straight edge band called a thin line fading. And the guys from that band went on to start tear it up, uh, and down in flames. So like we basically broke up cause we just didn't know what the fuck we were doing. So those guys went and started those bands. And then after that, um, I think I played in a band called full contact and that was with Zach who is in no warning and shark attack. So it was like a youth crew kind of straight edge band. I think Nick Woj from cold world was our drummer. Um, and then I played in a band called anything goes and anything goes was like sort of, it was like named after the guns and roses song. And it was just a bunch of guys from Long Island and I knew all of them cause I used to go up there all the time. My high school girlfriend's from Long Island. So I'd go up there to see like sound majority and kill your idols. And I ended up hanging out with these guys a lot. And it was kind of like, I guess in the vein of, I don't know, like American nightmare, right brigade, that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah. And then pretty much after that, I got asked to be in no rights, which was the lineup of blacklisted, but Robbie red cheeks was playing bass. And, um, then after a couple months, maybe a year of doing that, I was sitting down with George and I was like, yo, I got these songs I want to do for a band. They're kind of like, kind of like mad ballish, like a little heavier. And I really like, don't know who to do them with. And then I had like another set of songs that kind of sounded like super touch or like maybe even like turnstile people might see it, think it sounds like now. Um, and George was just like, yo, I really like these songs. I want to do them. So we picked the Madball songs, and that was how Blacklisted started. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi. I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh boy, I am incredibly excited about today's sponsor because it is Awesome. And it is, uh, frankly, a very, very good way to share music. So you've probably like, you know, taken screenshots and like send stuff out to friends and be like, yo, have you checked this record out? Like you got group chat threads and like, it's just, it's, it's divided all over the place. Earbuds is a social music app that syncs with your Spotify premium or Apple music account and allows you to broadcast your music to friends in real time. So whatever you're listening to, they're listening along with you. It's basically like, you know, functions like social media. There's chat, interactivity, and you can share your music live. It's got a ton of features, like the ability to save songs and playlists back into your library. And this is the best part. It's completely free. You just need an Apple Music or Spotify premium account. 
this thing is so incredible. I you know got keyed into it because they were like, hey, would you be interested in partnering up with this this client? And I looked at it and I was like, this is awesome because you know, it, you, you can put together obviously all of your cool playlists on Spotify or Apple music. And then, you know, of course you can send them around to people, but this is like, boom, here you go. I'm sharing this out to everybody. Here's some links that you can post on social media and, uh, you know, you can text out to friends and be like, all right, let's, let's listen to some records because that's exactly what it's like. This is you hanging out with your friends virtually and other people who are participating in the app and listening to records. It is an awesome, awesome app. There's also like a lot of playlist functions where you can be like, Oh yeah, I'm looking for something more intense. And there's some people who are broadcasting there. I, I can't say enough good things about this. I started playing around with it and I absolutely love it. So please never, ever miss a beat. Download earbuds on the iOS app store now, or go to earbudsmusic.com to learn more. Please do it now. It's free. You got nothing to lose. It's super fun. Okay. Earbuds music. I love it. You know, as you started to, I guess, kind of, you know, get out there and, and start to tour. I mean, I know that you've always had, at least you've always expressed kind of a, um, you know, love hate relationship with, with tour. And that was, you know, kind of one of the reasons that, you know, rain Supreme did a decent amount of stuff, but then you kind of ran into a wall was, you know, was the, I guess the evolution of your touring experience, was it like you enjoyed it at first and then you didn't like it all of a sudden, or was it always <laughs> that kind of general, like, well, this is cool, but I kind of feel weird about this. Um, I think honestly, dude, I think I probably feel the same way about it that most people who've toured a lot feel right. Like it's this thing where like when you're doing it, sometimes you're like, yo, I cannot wait for this stupid shit to be over. And then the second you get home, you're like, I need to go on tour again right away. Cause the world sucks. So it's like it, to me, it always felt like a grass is greener thing. And that was even true. Like when I was like maybe 18 or 19 and we first started, like, you know, blacklist would go out and we would tour and it was always like fun, but like we would never make any money. So like we'd be fucking hungry and we'd be like shoplifting like like sandwiches and shit and we'd be sleeping on like hardwood floors with like cat piss everywhere and you know it sucked it wasn't super great but then like you know making really good friends with like I don't know drug tests and frostbite and like hanging out with those guys all the time that kind of made up for it like that was really fun and that was great and so like you would keep going because of the good but then the bad would hit you sometimes and you'd be like, yo, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And then I got kicked at a blacklisted right around the time we recorded the split with first blood. So like that song, eye for an eye, nowhere USA. Um, that was the last thing I played on. And then I immediately wanted to like do a hardcore band again, but then like, I, was, I don't know, things were, things were okay. Like at home. So I was just content to kind of like go to shows and like, hang out and go to work and whatever. And then, um, and then I just got the bug again. So I started our reign Supreme and then, you know, we toured for a few years and like, sometimes it was really good. Sometimes it was really, really bad. And by the end of it, I think we were all really burnt out, probably a little bit on each other, definitely a lot on sort of having toured as much as we did and just not it feeling like it feeling like it didn't matter. You know, um, it felt like, it felt like we were sort of, phoning it in sometimes. And I hated feeling that way. And then, um, some stuff happened at home with my now ex where there was like a death in the family. And I felt like I really needed to be home more. And we kind of really, really, really started saying no to touring, um, a lot more in like 2011 or so. And that was the last time I really was like sort of out on the road at all. But it was like, 
it was a really hard decision, but at the time it just felt right. I, if I'm being honest, I regret it pretty much every second of the day. Like I, I felt like we stopped touring right around the time that like bands that we really wanted to tour with started to pay attention to us and like ask us to do stuff. And I think so much now that like, if we had just gone out a little bit more, maybe throughout 2012, 2013, we probably would have done a lot more fun stuff and not ended it. So sort of like abruptly. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to lie, man. Like I love my life at home right now. Everything is really, really great. I miss being in a band that tours. I miss it. I, like I miss it. Like I, I would miss my right hand if I lost it. Like I love touring. Um, and I, I sort of like, I have this fantasy that like, I don't fucking know, uh, some, some band somewhere is going to be like, Oh, we need a bass player. Oh, the guy from rate Supreme can scream and play bass at the same time. <laughs> yeah. There we go. You know? So like, I'm just hope so like, you know, um, Bayside, if you hear this and it doesn't work out, let me know. But yeah, like I, I, I do, I would like to play music more. It's just that it hasn't happened. And I'm kind of okay with that. If that's how it's going to be. Like, I love my life at home. I have a great job. I have a great life. I have an amazing girlfriend. I'm like exploring my, like I'm totally like self-actualizing and it's fucking sick, but not going to lie. I really, really, really miss like playing music. And I feel like, end we'll play and we'll do some touring and we'll like do stuff. But like all those guys are really busy. Like no one in that band can tour full time. It just is not going to happen like that. Um, or even like even remotely close to that. Like, so yeah, I, I miss it a lot, man. It's, it's definitely a love hate thing. I'd say it's a lot more of like a love thing. It's more like, it's really bad that I don't have a little brother, but like if you have a little brother, that's like a real piece of shit. And you're like, yo, you suck sometimes, but you are my, you are my piece of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. it does. It has that juxtaposition, especially too. Like if it hits you at certain times in your life, where it's just like, oh man, like this year, I can't, like I can't tour or whatever. But like you know, when you're yeah. 23, you don't have that option of saying like you can't tour, especially if you're on the machine of like, oh, we got to keep on the road and do all that stuff and play, you know, part of the music industry machine or whatever. So yeah, I I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, you know, and kind of on that same tip where the uh you know business aspect of uh you know music and playing in bands and putting together shows i mean and i use the word business in air quotes because you know when you're talking about you know getting paid four hundred dollars for a show it's like you know that's not yeah. that, that's not business to a wall street banker or whatever but <laughs> did you i guess care for that aspect of playing in a band and you know because that kind of defaults to the lead singer in many respects where it's like oh yeah like talk to the singer about booking a show or whatever um or did you try to i guess shield yourself from it because you didn't enjoy it um, like many things with Rain Supreme, I probably would have done it differently looking back in hindsight. Um, I, yes, early on, I was sort of like de facto managing the band, but I was not managing us well. Um, and then we would have like, like Andy Rice was our booking agent. So was, um, Bailey from figure four for a while. And, um, those guys like did a great job doing stuff. But, you know, a lot of the time on tour, we, we weren't really making enough money to have like a tour manager. So like I would, I would collect money at the end of the night and stuff. And I always hated that because it was like, I don't know, man, like I just, I'm not good at that stuff, dude. That's just not me. Like I'm, I'm not really like the kind of guy that wants to handle the business stuff and also like play, like I'd rather be one or the other. Like 
I feel like if I, if I just like went out with a band and they were like, yeah, we just want you to tour manage and stuff like, cool, no problem. I'm like a reasonable adult. I can collect money. I can count money. I can fucking load in. I can do everything. That's fine. I can do that. But there was some, some element of it where like the band business with me being also like in some ways, like it or not, the sort of face of the band, I felt like a lot of the time, like I was trapped because it's like hard to be like, Hey, like, you know, I know the show didn't do great, but like we agreed to this amount, but then it's like the show didn't, it wasn't that the show didn't do great. It's that no one gives a fuck about rain Supreme and wherever you just played. And like, there's some reality to that. Like I would look these promoters in the eye and just be like, I have to take this money from you, but you and I both know that like, this is kind of on me. Like kids don't care that much about the band. So they didn't go to see us. So we didn't make money. And that's not like the promoter's fault. I mean, sometimes it could be, but I just don't think that was really the case that often. I think it was that there was a lot of internet hype maybe around the band that, that you know, wasn't really, uh, didn't really meet out in reality all the time. So that, that was like a, that was the thing I really, really hated. And there, there was a lot about that band in particular and like who I was when I was in that band that if I could have like one wish, it would be to go back in time and like kind of, I don't even necessarily think redo all of it, but definitely like wash away some of it. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Yeah. When you, especially too, when you know the way that maybe you carried yourself or you expressed yourself was, you know, either, you know, not appropriate or just like, Oh, that was like, I would never have said that now. Like I never would have said that. Oh my God. I never would have acted like (laughs) that. Yeah. Dude, that is like a daily, like, yeah, you have no idea. Like I'm going to say like a dozen times a day, I think about an interaction I had from 2000 and we'll say like 2005 to 2019. I'm just like, Oh my God, I cannot <laughs> believe that at United blood that one time I was that much of a dick to that kid. Or I can't believe that I, I did this like thing or I, all dude. I think about it all the time. So like, let me just say this. If you're listening to this and like, I, was weird to you or was a shithead to you over email or like whatever, like know that I remember you know that I remember doing it. And I'm like ashamed of it. And like, I don't know, man, no excuses, but like, I don't, I don't know, dude, I don't have it all there, you know? And sometimes like when we were doing that band, I do, I remember so many times we'd be on tour and we'd be in like fucking Anaheim playing chain reaction. And you know, there'd be like all these bands hanging out. We'd be on tour with like four or five bands who I fuck with that I like. And I like the dudes in the band and I'd spend the entire time like on, on my phone, like in the, in the van, just waiting to play. As soon as we played, get back in the van, wait to do it the next day. I just like, it's like, it was like almost too many people around for me a lot of the time. And like, I don't, I don't know, man, I'm a really anxious person and I just didn't handle it all that well. So like, yeah, the band business stuff probably should have outsourced that to someone that could have managed it better than I could have. Like for sure. Sure. sure, It was was a mess, dude. (laughs) (laughs) No, totally understood. Um, but you know, as I guess, not even on the flip side of that, but like, as you kind of felt momentum with, um, you know, the bands that you played in either from, you know, like whatever, releasing seven inches, releasing full lengths and getting cool tours. And, you know, there were, there was some, some heat behind the project, uh, rain Supreme. I mean, what, they don't need to call it a project. It was a band. Um, did you, I guess, did you ever allow yourself to believe like, Oh man, like maybe this, this could be my thing for a little bit. Or did you always have that, that, you know, uh, a thing in the back of your head being like, Oh Jay, like that's, that's not realistic. Like there's always, you know, you're not going to, this isn't going to be the thing or whatever. Oh no, dude, I, I had the opposite problem. So like we, we dropped a demo, I think 
was it? I, dude, I, I actually don't even remember the chain of events all that well. Yeah, sure. But I remember we, we dropped like a demo on the internet. I think it was like, maybe it was a band camp. I can't remember. And right away we were getting asked to do sick shit stuff. I didn't really expect to happen because like the dudes in reign Supreme weren't like brand name dudes. Right. So like this was probably 2006. So like the guys that I was doing it with were in this band called roundhouse that was from, um, like South Jersey by Philly. And they were like, kind of like a, I don't know, like a fury of five cold as life kind of band, but these guys could play and they were like the sweetest, coolest dudes. I loved hanging out with them. So I was like, yo, let's do this band. Let's demo this shit. It's heavy. Let's just fucking do it. So we started playing and like, as soon as the demo came out, we were getting asked to do stuff that was like really kind of high profile. Like it happened way quicker than it did for blacklisted. Like who, who did a lot of shit we didn't want to do to get to play shows. You know what I mean? So like right away, like Pat Flynn from half heart was like calling me on the phone to get us to play this like festival in Boston with them. And then like right away, like one of our first shows was opening, um, the Friday night of this is hardcore. And then like, we got put on United blood. I think it was probably the inaugural United blood or maybe the second one. And then we were on sound and fury and like doing all these things that were like really, I think like at the time seemed like a really big deal. So yeah, like right away I was like, that's it, dude. Um, um, this is it. This is what we're doing. And with that came this insane shit that I'm still so ashamed of where like, I really let my ego spiral out of control. And I was really all about like kind of seeing how far we could take the band rather than like appreciating the friendships that were along the way or being present, even in like the shows that we were playing and like getting to know the kids who were putting them on or like the bands that we were touring with. I was all about like, yo, what's next? Yo, Andy, what's up with this mad ball tour? Yo, like, what are we doing with this? Yo, death wish. Can we do this? Can we do that? Like, just constantly worrying about what was next. And some part of that was also the guys in the band wanted to like, like we were like in our mid twenties at that point, we weren't like 19 anymore. So we were like, yo, we want to go to Europe. We want to go to Japan. We want to put out a record. We want to go out with comeback kid. We want to go out with hate breed. We wanted to do all this stuff. And like, I totally rather than just like enjoying the band and letting it sort of process as it was, I did the opposite of what you suggested, which is that I thought that we were legit. were going to be like the next big thing. So I kind of like was like, well, whatever I write, people are going to like it because they like this shit I wrote. So I'm just going to keep like doing whatever I want. I'm going to sort of like demand stuff more than sort of earn it. So like I can't even think of any really good concrete examples right now, but I just remember like hitting bands up and being like, yo, do you want to go out? And then being like, oh, we can't make it work. And me sort of being like, yeah, well, fuck those guys anyway. You know, like I was... (laughs) Yeah, seriously, dude. Like I'm telling you, man, like every day I look back at the way I treated people back then. And like a few people I've reached out to like Pat Kitzel from Reaper records. I like wrote him this long email one time. I was like, yo dude, I know that I was like a real fucking shithead to you. And I am really sorry. I just like, I just don't know how to handle myself and I don't know how to talk to people. I'm just a piece of shit. And he was cool about it. And then like Justin from, um, all in and closed casket. Like he's been really cool to end. And like me and I was like, yo, I remember one time I wrote you a really angry email because you owed me a check for like a hundred bucks or something. And I'm so sorry, dude. Like I knew that you were cool with it and you just didn't send it yet or whatever. And I was, I was, I was like a real, real, real asshole back then. So yeah, I had the opposite problem. I never thought like Reign Supreme is going to be like, oh, we'll play like a few local shows here and there with like Wisdom and Chains and we'll like hang out. Right away when people started noticing us, I was like, yo, this is it. I never really got to do this with Blacklisted. Like we did some touring, but now I'm going to tour all the time and we're going to push this shit real hard. And wow, did that ever backfire. It did not work out well. And it's still, 
it might be the biggest regret of my life. Maybe not the biggest, but it's like up there, dude. Like if I could go back in time and just be like, here's a number one, buy, buy a nice camera and take it everywhere with you and take lots of pictures. Number two, every person you meet, get to know them, get to know their story, be present in this day that they're sharing with you instead of worrying about where you're going to sleep tonight or what you're going to eat tomorrow when you're in Atlanta or worrying about who you're going to go out with this spring on your way to sound and fury. Like I was so worried about that stuff that I like straight up threw away years of my life worrying about it. And like so many countless friendships, like that is a, that is a very, very big regret. And like, it was all because of the way that I handled what you were just asking about. Yeah, I think, I mean, to your point, I'm not trying to give you a pass on this or anything, but I think, you know, it does get, you you get wrapped up in not only the moment and the excitement, but then you feel like you want, you know, not everybody feels this way, but you know, you want to be proactive and you want to be the person that's like, you know, getting stuff done and moving stuff around. And like, when you don't know how to channel that energy, that's probably how it manifests itself in the way that you were acting, you know, like you you were just kind of like shotgun blasts all over the place, (laughs) trying to be like, Hey dude, why is this not happening? Let's do this. Let's, Let's have fun. Dude. I'm sure if you like call Andy Rice and you were like, yo, what was booking rain supreme like in 2008 he he would just start laughing because it was like it was probably such a fucking nightmare and like i'm sure any number of promoters all across the country if you were like yo um i'm interviewing this guy jay do you have anything you want to ask them they'd probably be like yeah ask him why he was such a fucking jerk to me when i tried to like book his his band like i don't know dude it and honestly i don't want you to give me a pass i don't want anyone else to give me a pass right now i know i understand like i'll never I don't know. I'm not gonna say never, but I'll never like put myself in that position again. Like for the rest of my life, like, end. we have a manager. I don't really do press for end at all. Um, I don't do anything like that. I, I play shows. I play, I play bass and I, that's, that's it. And like, I'm doing a new hardcore band with like a few other people. And like, we're recording a demo right now for that band. I'm playing guitar and I'm letting our singer manage like social media and talking to people and all that. It's just not my strength, man. That's like, like I tried to be somebody I wasn't and that wasn't me and I treated people poorly and I'm just, I don't know. It's, it sucks. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of icky. I'm not, I'm not stoked about it, but you know, it it happens. Well, and you all, and I mean, through only through time and perspective, are you able to, you know, kind of self audit and realize like where your strength and weaknesses lie and you know, that you don't, (laughs) not every, not everybody has the luxury of doing that, not only in real time, but you probably don't even have the tools in which to do that in real time to be like, Oh wait, maybe I need to chill out for a minute. And yeah, you only realize that in retrospect with, with like, oh yeah, I, I'm holding this torch and these these five bridges are burnt. Like, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I think like one, one of the big breakthroughs in my life was I, I broke up with like an ex now and her and I were talking about it and I was like, so like what, what changed for you? And she was like, you know, when you talk about all the things that went wrong with your life, you always talk about it like, well, if only this person did this and like they treated me poorly and whatever. She's like, you never talk about it. Like maybe I fucked up. And as soon as she said that, I started thinking like way more about my life. Dude, then this was like a year or two ago. So it wasn't that long ago, but I I started looking back at all that stuff. And I was like, Oh, I was mad at like, I don't know. Like I was mad at Foster for not booking us on United blood. I think in 2008 or nine, the year we stopped playing, I was mad at him for that. And he was like, I probably like hurt his feelings. Like, I think I said something to him and he, I almost remember the conversation. I think I said like, yo, what's up? Are we not playing? And he was like, it gets harder to book this festival every year, man. Sometimes like bands we want to play, like we can't for whatever reason. And I think I was just like, yeah, okay, whatever, dude. Like I was just such a jerk about it. And like, 
like he's been super cool to me since then. And like, I think I, I, I would guess that we're friends at this point, but like it's, it was stuff like that. You know what I mean? Where, um, I guess I didn't really think about it at the time. Like I assumed that I was entitled to play this thing because I played it. And the second someone was like, Hey, like, you know, you guys are going out with bands like the ghost inside and shy Halud a lot more instead of bands like foundation and have heart. Maybe you're not as good a fit for this festival anymore. Like I would have taken that poorly and been like, bitch, we can play whatever we want. <laughs> right. But now looking at it, it's like, yo, that's, that's probably what he should have said. He should have just been like, Hey, you guys are kind of gravitating towards this world. And like, we think the kids who want to come here would rather see, you know, what would that year have been? Maybe like trapped into rice or something. And instead of being like a good dude about it and being like, yo, our friendship matters to me more than anything. I'll still come down and hang out for the fest. See you soon. I was just a jerk. Like anytime something didn't work out with people, I was just like burning bridges left and right. And I guess I didn't really see it like that at the time. And now that I do, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, but the, I mean, you, you have the, uh, like you have been doing, obviously you have the ability to, you know, reach out and, you know, express yourself exactly how you're doing now, where it's just like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, I, I made mistakes and I wish that I would have handled these things differently. And I'm, I'm sorry, but I am a different person than what I was, you know, 10 years ago, let alone, you know, three years ago or whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm like really glad we're talking about this. I haven't done an interview in like years. And like, this has been the thing that like I think about the most when I think about my time and like blacklist and reign supreme is like, I wish that some people who knew me from that era that I'm not really friends with anymore. I wish that they knew that like, I regret the way that I treated them. So if they listen to this, like I hope that they can internalize that about them and know that like the friendship that we had still matters to me. And then like, I feel really shitty about the way that I sort of let stuff go because I lost track of what was really important. And I think like, it's one of those things, dude, where like you talk about your band or you talk about music or, or even you just, you talk about you. And it's like so easy to focus on like the, well, yeah, I got demonstrated my style when I was 18 and that was it for me. I was all about the hardcore, you know, but it's like, that stuff is so obvious, dude. Like I can hear that in your songwriting. And when I look back at this stuff, I, I think that like, I think that the thing that I would like people to remember that band for was the music to a certain extent, but also like, let me be a little bit of a cautionary tale for people in bands right now. Like use, use what you have, like be in it. Do not look for the next thing. Take a camera, take a journal, spend time with your friends, laugh, enjoy the mishaps. When your fucking van breaks down, enjoy it, laugh about it. It's funny. Fuck it. Whatever. You'll be okay. You'll probably survive it. Right. But I wish that I spent more time doing that stuff. And like, so it's easy to talk about like whatever, like a uh, skateboarding got me into minor threat, which got me into Madball. Right. But like, I think it's more important for me at least to share that with people and with you. It's like, yo, like all this stuff is great. Like we can talk about punk and like kind of pat ourselves in the back all day. But like, if you're a 19 year old kid who just bummed out your parents by saying you're dropping out of college to go on tour, go on tour, pursue it aggressively, have fun, enjoy every second because some of us didn't do that. And some of us are now probably not able to do it and like sort of wish we could. So I, I guess that's kind of how I feel about it at this point. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. Cause I, I do think that no matter what, uh, everybody is imperfect and completely flawed when it comes to not only human to human relations, but then when you are uh, existing in this, you know, highly, highly energized, volatile thing, such as, you know, punk and hardcore. And sometimes the way that we treat each other uh, within that scene and context isn't reflected on beyond just the, you know, 
like you said, all the, the sort of, you know, patting each other in the back and all the platitudes that get thrown around where it's just like, oh, brotherhood and all that other stuff. But it's like, yeah, but then there are times where people have, uh, you know, done like not only real damage to themselves, but, you know, real damage to the way that like, oh, wow, that this kid that started going to shows may not go to shows anymore because they had two or three negative interactions with people, uh, you know, at a show. They're like, oh, this yeah. doesn't feel welcoming or whatever. Yeah, man, absolutely. And like, I, I don't know that, that, that was like, that's always been a big thing for me. Like I, I think at like an, a fairly early age in like hardcore, I was sort of in a community, like a sub community within hardcore of people who were like kind of, I don't know, like, like blacklisted and cold world were playing a lot together back then. And we, we were like the cool kids at Posse numbers festival or something. Right. Um, and I always felt like, yo, this is kind of fucked up that this is like weird hierarchy of like dudes in bands and dudes not in bands and like girls are just at the bottom, right? Because it's hardcore. And like, that always really bothered me. It always seemed to me to be really problematic that there were like these different sort of like social, there was this pecking order of like people who'd made it and people who hadn't made it yet or probably never will. And I always hated that. And like one thing I do now and still like try to do back then as much as possible was try to book my band or play with like more diverse bands. And then also like try to make that kid who's going to see your band that maybe is wearing the fucking, I don't know. Like if, if you go to see terror or something and you're wearing like, I don't know, a Chelsea grin shirt, it's not exactly the same community. And there are going to be some people who are like terror fans that are like, Oh, look at this kid. He's like a death core poser or whatever. And to me, that's just the most, fucked up shitty negative energy on the world and i really really have always resented that and continue to do so so like that shit back then needed to go and still now needs to go and i think it's like a lot better than it used to be like when i was growing up but um yeah like that that shit not yeah not not a fan of that no 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 not, not at all not at all um, and the last thing I want to hit on before I let you go where the, um, you know, because you have, I mean, I know you focused on school kind of later in your life where, you know, you, you went to college and everything like that. Um, and then, you know, you've kind of, you've been a nomad from the perspective of, like you said, you're kind of just like collecting jobs just to like, you know, make rent and do all that sort of stuff. And so you've really kind of filtered in and out of, you know, a bunch of different things. And now it seems like you've really kind of keyed into, um, you know, your, your passion as far as like being a barber. And well, I mean, do you, do you call yourself an esthetician or that's something completely different, right? Am I just an idiot? Well, yeah, no, that's something different. I'm, okay. I, I'm a, I'm a barber. Right. Um, and I, that's, I, I would also say though, like just, just to put it out there, because this this is actually really passionate and near dear to my heart too. Sure, I struggled a lot figuring out what I wanted to do, and I always put it this way: like I feel like a lot of the time there's pressure for kids to go to college or to be something that just doesn't really jive with them. And I think that because I did somewhat well on like tests when I was a kid, my parents were like, you need to be a doctor. You need to go to Princeton. You need to be a lawyer or whatever. And they were disappointed when it turned out that I just wanted to be a musician or whatever. And that, you know, that's like a really painful thing for a kid to go through. I think, I think two things. One is you need to fight, figure out what the fuck you want to do and just do it. And you also need to, within that, you need to remember that there's no shame in just working a job. So what I wanted to correct you on was I am a barber. I really like my job, but it's my job. Like I'm not, 
I don't like wake up and like identify myself on Instagram as like, yo, I'm like Jay, Jay, the hardcore barber. Right. Like, I don't fucking care. Totally. Like that's, okay. that's not even close to me. Like if someone's like, what do you like? So tell me about yourself. Barber is like the sixth thing on the list. I really like my job. I care a lot about it. I want to be one of the best in the world. I want to open a barber shop. Like I'm, I'm really into it, but it's not, it is my job. And I like to keep a separation between the two because like, the things that I really care about right now are photography, traveling, running, um, spending time with my girlfriend, like growing these different aspects of myself. Like that's my passion stuff. That's the stuff that I put a lot of energy into. Um, I reserve a lot of energy for my work, but barbering is my work. It's not like, like I don't wake up and meditate on how to do a better skin fade. I just practice skin fades all day. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference there. And I think that our generation, me and you and the kids right below us, they probably got taught like some fucking whack ass Instagram bullshit about if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yes, you do, motherfucker. Like a job is a job no matter what you do. And it's okay to be an electrician or a barber or a plumber or an Uber driver if that's what you want to do for money so that you can go do whatever the fuck you want to do with your free time. Like that shit is all okay. And I think that it's really important that we end this idea of like achievement as like a measurement of who you are. Like it is okay to be a fucked up kid. It's okay to get kicked out of school. It's okay to do whatever. It's okay to try being a barber and failing at it, being an electrician and failing at it, going to med school and failing at it, going to the Navy and failing at it. It doesn't matter what you do. Some things are not for some people and that's okay. Like it's fine to do that, but like, it's also okay to just be something. There's no shame in taking over your parents' pharmacy and being a pharmacist and playing in bands on the weekends or whatever. Like, yo, you just got to live your fucking life. You don't have to be fucking, uh, like every kid who plays piano is not going to be fucking Elton John. And like, that's, that's super okay. Your music still matters. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're, I think that the, to put a button on that idea, I think the, where I get sad at people, um, you know, kind of, uh, when people move on from the things that they're passionate about, you know, uh, like yeah. it doesn't mean you have to go to like, you know, every single show or whatever. It's just like, as long as you're still connecting with music in some capacity, and it doesn't even have to be the music that you listen to when you're 14 or 15 years old, but it's like, if music is an important component of your life, give it that space to still exist in your life in some way, shape or form. But it, to that notion of what you said, like the, the idea that like, Oh, like certain things, you know, have to be shed because you don't have time for them anymore. It's just like, well, no, like time just, it's, you have to be more deliberate with it as you get older, as opposed to like an overabundance of it. When you're young, you just have all the time in the world. It yeah. doesn't matter. But yeah, I, I completely understand. There's this, there is this uh, mythical idea that gets uh, thrown up there where it's just like, Oh yeah. If like, if you don't, if you don't do this thing that is attached to a creative art, it's like, Oh, then I don't know how successful you are. It's like, uh, you're an accountant. Like that's pretty lame. It's like, well, no, like that's a job. And that's like, that's sick yeah. because that's like, uh, it's it's way better than most other people can do. And it's like an actual trade or whatever, you know, it's really important, man. And it's important that like people voice that, like it's, it's okay to be whatever you are. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like all day long, I cut, I cut people's hair and I listen to them talk about their lives. And guess what, dude, everyone's miserable. Like you could be a plastic surgeon making fucking $2 million a year and you have problems. They might be better problems than other people have. Like you're not homeless probably. Right. But like everyone is a little bit miserable. It's part of like existing in the world. And the people that I know, and I'm, 
would probably include myself in this category at this point. The people I know who are happiest, who tend to be filled with joy, who tend to like, like waking up in the morning and going about their day. It's not about what they do for a living. It's not about how big their band is. It's not about what kind of car they have. It's about some sort of peace they've found within themselves and within like the world, some like sort of balance. And I think like figuring that out is a matter of figuring out like what actually just makes you happy and then kind of pursuing that and being okay with failing at a few things and trying new things and being patient with yourself and, and others. I feel like I'm like a fucking Instagram positivity, inspirational (laughs) meme right now. And that's like a bummer, but it's, it's really, dude, it's really what I feel like. This is what I think about most days now. And like with the barber thing, I just look at it like, yo, this is a great job. It's a really, really good job. And it allows me to do all kinds of cool stuff. And I like it. And I'm cool with doing it for the rest of my career. But like, I don't get some sort of like title and satisfaction and tribe out of it. I I care about it, but I probably care about it as much as like a master electrician does. They're just like, yeah, this is cool. Like you did a good job with this circuit or whatever. It's not like, you know, they're not like thinking about wiring on the weekends. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's how I feel about it. And I think like the sooner, like I wish someone told me that when I was 19, I wish they'd be like, Hey, college might not be for you. Um, if it is, it might be art school or it might be business school, but you should be free to explore these things and think about them and be okay with ultimately settling on the idea that you might not be like the singer of the biggest hardcore band who is also a doctor. Like (laughs) that's okay to not be all these things. You can just be you and like, the people in your life will be grateful. And I think that being with them is more important than being something that you're not, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, you do walk into cliche forest when you talk about this stuff, but it is, (laughs) but, but I mean, they are, there's no better way to describe a lot of the, those feelings than, um, the sentiments that you're sharing. So yeah, no, I, I very much, I very much identify and appreciate the way that you're expressing yourself like that. So um yeah jay you're awesome i really appreciate you hanging out on this this is nice man this was a uh, very fun to uh yeah I, I didn't mean to you know make you uh, audit yourself so much but <laughs> I'm, I'm glad i'm glad we walked through this this was this was enjoyable well honestly dude you you asked me questions that forced me to reflect on myself a little bit and i really appreciate that because if i'm being honest like i was a little hesitant to do this like so much of me is just like you're gonna post about this and i swear to god there are gonna be a bunch of motherfuckers who are gonna be like what why well, who cares what that fucking guy has to say sure. and like yo i feel that energy dude I, I don't know like i don't know but i appreciate you doing it i appreciate you asking me on and i appreciate like the opportunity to like walk through this stuff with you because like you know i think my experiences have been for better or for worse really interesting and really you know um maybe like relatable to a lot of people yeah. and i'm just glad that i had the opportunity to put them out there and to talk to you about that was Jay. Thank you very much. Like I kept telling him throughout the process of this setting up this chat and everything else, it was, uh, yeah, it was great. And I just appreciate him being as open and honest as, um, yeah, I expected him to be. And so he, uh, he delivered. So thank you very much, Jay. Thank you very much. Very much indeed. What do I got next week? I have another, of course, awesome chat. That's all I do around here, right? <laughs> It'd be funny if I was just like one week. Yeah. So I have a terrible conversation next week. <laughs> This is really looking forward to this one, but no, in all honesty, I, this was a person I'd circled for quite some time and, uh, we landed him Ryan Clark from demon hunter. And in my opinion, most importantly, uh, focal point and training for utopia, both of those were huge bands for my early heavy music 
uh, ears. And um, we talk about that. And it's really good because, uh, you know, I was I was honest with him and I was like, I don't really like Demon Hunter. Uh, but I see the value in the band and, uh, they put out a great DVD that I think encapsulated not only the success of the band, but really put it in the proper framework for me. So, but Ryan was awesome. And that is what we got next week. Like I previously told you support for the show today comes from Sonos. It is the best speaker system I have ever seen or utilized myself. It connects in minutes. You are up and running, listening to music, connecting all of your favorite streaming services, connecting your your turntable, your TV. It is so, so simple, okay? Just go to Sonos.com, learn more, and buy all of their speakers. Trust me, you want, you'll want one in each room of your apartment or house or whatever, and thank you for the support. Now, goodbye, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Hi, I'm Esther Dean. I've made my life by writing songs like Fireworks by Katy Perry, Super Bass by Nicki Minaj, What's My Name by Rihanna, just to name a few. And now I'm having an absolute blast sharing some of the knowledge that I've learned with upcoming songwriters on Songland on NBC. I'm excited to welcome you to a brand new season of Songland and Songland's podcast, giving you new insight into the magical art of songwriting as told by some of the best in the business and also the pioneers and the up-and-comers who will be shaping the hits you'll be listening to for years. We have an amazing roster of talent this season. I promise you, you don't want to miss one single episode. Don't miss Songland, Monday nights at 10, 9 central, and join us here on Songland's podcast, available every week after the show on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts.